Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the eBay Q3 2020 earnings call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask questions during the session, you will need to press star than one on your telephone keypad. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today. Joe Belante, VP of Communications and Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us and welcome to eBay's earnings release conference call for the third quarter of 2020. Joining us today on the call are Jamie Iannone, our Chief Executive Officer, and Andy Crane, our Interim Chief Financial Officer. We're providing a slide presentation to accompany Andy's commentary during the call, which is available through the Investor Relations section of the eBay website at investors.ebayinc.com. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you that during the course of this conference call, we will discuss some non-GAAP measures related to our performance. You can find the reconciliation of these measures to the nearest comparable GAAP measures in the slide presentation accompanying this conference call. Additionally, all revenue and GMV growth rates mentioned in Jamie's and Andy's remarks represent FX neutral year-over-year comparisons unless they indicate otherwise. In this conference call, management will make forward-looking statements, including, without limitation, statements regarding our future performance and expected financial results. These forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties, and our actual results may differ materially from our forecast for a variety of reasons. You can find more information about risks, uncertainty, and other factors that could affect our operating results in our most recent periodic reports on Form 10-K and Form 10-Q and our earnings release from earlier today. You should not rely on any forward-looking statements. All information in this presentation is as of October 28, 2020, and we do not intend and undertake no duty to update this information. With that, let's turn it over to Jamie. Thanks, Joe, and good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Today I'll walk you through some of the key highlights from the quarter and update you on our new tech-led reimagination of the company. Then I will turn the call over to Andy to discuss our recent performance and near-term outlook. Before I do that, I'd like to take a moment and reflect on a major milestone eBay passed last month. 25 years ago, during Labor Day weekend, our founder, Pierre, launched eBay as a technology experiment. His aspiration was to create an open, fair, and trusted marketplace that empowered people and created economic opportunity for all. Since our inception, eBay pioneered online shopping and has become an iconic brand that has shaped the modern e-commerce landscape. We are very proud of our accomplishments, and today we connect over 183 million buyers to nearly 19 million sellers around the world in a broad and diverse set of categories. We are operating during historic times when our buyers and sellers need us most, while supporting our employees who are working hard to meet the needs of our customers and adjusting to their own reality. As we look ahead to the next 25 years, our vision is to become the best global marketplace to buy and sell goods through a tech-led reimagination of eBay. I will come back to this in a moment, but first let me talk about our most recent achievements. In the third quarter, we delivered strong results. Earlier this month, we updated how we report classifieds. But to be clear, on an apples-to-apples basis, we performed better than expectations on both the top and bottom lines. Gross merchandise volume and marketplace was 21%. To put that in perspective, perspective, we added over $4 billion in volume in Q3 versus last year, more than many businesses do annually. Active buyers increased to over $183 million globally. Organic revenue grew faster than volume, up 26%, driven by payments and advertising. 
Demand payments migration made significant progress in Q3 and is delivering buyers and sellers a simplified end-to-end experience. Starting with five of our largest markets, we focused first on transitioning business sellers to the new payments platform. As a result, we exited the quarter with over 340,000 sellers migrated. During the quarter, eBay managed payments for over 20% of on-platform volume. Additionally, we informed sellers that we are expanding managed payments to France, Italy, and Spain in early 2021, and we will begin to migrate consumer sellers in Q4 in the U.S. We remain on track and expect to complete the vast majority of our transition by the end of next year. Seller feedback has been encouraging, as the NPS from sellers in managed payments has averaged more than 10 points higher than the NPS of sellers who have yet to migrate. Buyers love the flexibility, choice, and ease of use. We are seeing new and reactivated buyers choosing alternate forms of payment, like credit and debit cards, Google Pay, and Apple Pay, across the majority of their purchases. We remain confident that we are on pace to deliver $2 billion in revenue and $500 million in operating income on an annual basis by 2022. Advertising growth continues to be driven by promoted listings, which continue to outpace volume, a trend we expect will continue for the foreseeable future. In the third quarter, promoted listings delivered $186 million of revenue, up 77%. We are providing sellers with more data-driven recommendations to optimize their ad conversion, while we test and build more technology features to drive future growth and position eBay as the seller's platform of choice. Now turning to classifieds. We believe that the transfer of classifieds to Adaventa is on track to be completed in Q1 2021, subject to regulatory approvals. We would be excited to bring together two highly complementary businesses that can create tremendous value over time. The market agrees, as evidenced by the appreciation in Adaventa's share price, which increased the value to eBay from $9.2 billion to over $11 billion based on recent trading levels. As you may recall, Last quarter, I outlined a long-term vision for eBay. Through a tech-led reimagination, we can realize the enormous untapped potential of our marketplace and drive sustainable long-term growth. We have three strategic priorities to support this vision. First, to defend our core by building compelling next-gen experiences for our enthusiasts. Second, to become the partner of choice for sellers. And third, to cultivate lifelong trusted relationships with our buyers. We are in the first phase of a multi-year journey, but many tech-led improvements for buyers and sellers yet to come. But over the past quarter, we were able to take several steps towards realizing this vision. As I mentioned, our first priority is all about defending our core business. Our focus here is on non-nuance-using products and simplifying consumer selling. We are taking a holistic view of customer needs, responding by launching features to address those needs, and rapidly replicating the approach, leveraging scalable technology across enthusiast categories. A great example of that is the series of changes we made to our luxury watch category. Recently, we launched Authenticity Guarantee on all watches above $2,000. This service increases confidence for both buyers and sellers. Buyers can count on meticulous verification by third-party experts, and sellers are protected from fraudulent returns. In addition, we announced an escrow service for high-dollar transactions, plus new app content for watch enthusiasts, and we also reduced fees for sellers. While this service is still in its early stages, 
we have already seen a modest increase in supply and higher average selling prices. We've also turned our focus to the sneakers category, which attracts passionate enthusiasts, particularly Gen Z and millennials. In the U.S., sneaker GMV has significantly improved from a year ago. These buyers and sellers bring tremendous value to our ecosystem. An average sneaker buyer purchases in 10 unique categories each year, more than double the amount of other eBay buyers. Leveraging similar technology launched in watches, we expanded the authenticity guarantee to sneakers. We are requiring all collectible sneakers, both new and pre-owned, above $100 to be verified by a team of independent third-party industry experts. The program kicked off with the authentication of our most popular brands and styles and will scale to all sneaker sales over $100 next year. A year ago, we were losing share in this important category, but now we are seeing over 50% GMV growth year-to-date, and that was before launching the Authenticity Guarantee. And just last week, we announced the launch of a new elevated experience for certified refurbished products. We see tens of billions of dollars in untapped potential in the global refurbished market. Through our new certified refurbished program, buyers can save up to 50% on like-new branded inventory with all the assurances of buying new, including a two-year warranty, eBay money-back guarantee, and hassle-free 30-day returns. We are launching this program in partnership with globally recognized brands, including DeLonghi, Dirt Devil, Hoover, Makita, and Phillips, that will sell certified refurbished inventory exclusively on eBay. Not only does this program help with buyers' budgets leading into the holiday season, it also helps to eliminate unnecessary waste by keeping products in circulation for many years to come. We see a long runway to accelerate GMV growth given the $500 billion global total addressable market we are competing for, but it will take time. By leveraging scalable technology, we can uniquely address the needs of customers across a diverse mix of categories in electronics, fashion, collectibles, home and garden, parts and accessories, and more. Moving on to the second key priority of our vision, becoming the platform of choice for sellers. Over the past three months, in addition to enhancements in managed payments and advertising, we continue to leverage the scale of eBay to benefit small businesses. We work closely with UPS to offer new shipping services for sellers on our platform. In addition to a direct integration with eBay labels, sellers now have access to discounted rates, saving them time and money. Sellers also have access to order details, customer information, label printing, and shipment tracking all in one place. And buyers benefit from lower shipping costs and integrated tracking. Additionally, we are supporting seller profitability during the upcoming holiday season by working with the carriers on our platform to eliminate peak season shipping surcharges on eBay. Recently, we wrote out an update. Let me pause for one second. We're getting some feedback on the line. We're working through a technical issue. Can you give us a moment? And excuse me, speakers. Can you try speaking? Can try speaking over the backup line at the moment. Does this sound better when we use the backup line? Is this more clear? Do one more test, sir. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we, we apologize for the interruption. We are having technical difficulties. Please just stay on the line. Hi, at the risk of repeating myself, I'm going to go back a little bit just to make sure because I understand the line got fuzzy, which we apologize about the technical difficulties. So we also turned our focus to the sneakers category, which attracts passionate enthusiasts, particularly Gen Z and millennials. In the U.S., sneaker GMV has significantly improved from a year ago. These buyers and sellers bring tremendous value to our ecosystem. An average sneaker buyer purchases in 10 unique categories each year, more than double the amount of other eBay buyers. Leveraging similar technology launched in watches, we expanded the authenticity guarantee to sneakers. We are requiring all collectible sneakers, both new and pre-owned, above $100 to be verified by a team of independent third-party industry experts. The program kicked off with the authentication of our most popular brands and styles and will scale to all sneaker sales over $100 next year. A year ago, we were losing share in this important category, but now we're seeing over 50% GMB growth year-to-date and that was before launching the Authenticity Guarantee. And just last week, we announced the launch of new elevated experience for certified refurbished products. We see tens of billions of dollars in untapped potential in the global refurbished market. Through our new certified refurbished program, buyers can save up to 50% on like-new branded inventory with all the assurances of buying new, including a two-year warranty, eBay money-back guarantee, and hassle-free 30-day returns. 
We are launching this program in partnership with globally recognized brands, including DeLonghi, Dirt Devil, Hoover, Nikita, and Philips, that will sell certified refurbished inventory exclusively on eBay. Not only does this program help with buyers' budgets leading into the holiday season, it also helps to eliminate unnecessary waste by keeping products in circulation for many years to come. We see a long runway to accelerate GMB growth given the $500 billion global TAM we are competing for, but it will take time. By leveraging scalable technology, we can uniquely address the needs of customers across a diverse mix of categories in electronics, fashion, collectibles, home and garden, parts and accessories, and more. Moving on to the second key priority of our vision, becoming the platform of choice for sellers. Over the past three months, in addition to enhancements in managed payments and advertising, we continued to leverage the scale of eBay to benefit small businesses. We worked closely with UPS to offer new shipping services for sellers on our platform. In addition to a direct integration with eBay labels, sellers now have access to discounted rates, saving them time and money. Sellers also have access to order details, customer information, label printing, and shipment tracking, all in one place and buyers benefit from lower shipping costs and integrated tracking. Additionally, we are supporting seller profitability during the upcoming holiday season by working with the carriers on our platform to eliminate peak season shipping surcharges on eBay. Recently, we rolled out an upgraded communication system that allows buyers and sellers to connect securely on our platform. Also, we have provided small businesses a new marketing tool to drive traffic back to their eBay stores through our affiliate platform. And just in time for the holidays, last month we expanded the time away functionality, making it easier for sellers to update their listings and protect their on-time delivery record while providing buyers more accurate shipping estimates. Looking forward, we are embarking on a multi-quarter journey to improve selling flows that leverage more AI capabilities to dramatically simplify selling and drive more growth for small businesses. The third key priority of our strategy is to cultivate lifelong trusted relationship with buyers. To achieve this, we are leveraging technology to remove friction throughout the buying journey. In Q3, we improved search results, which led to material increases in conversions. By including more behavioral data, we were able to optimize machine learning algorithms at the top of the funnel that led to improved buyer engagement and ultimately led to increased purchases. These technology advances generate significant impact as every incremental point of conversion creates almost 1 billion more GMV annually. More importantly, buyers are discovering the items they are searching for in faster and simpler ways. Another way we are building trusted relationships with buyers is by improving our shipping tracking. In the UK and Australia, we developed a unique new capability to implement virtual tracking for Royal Mail and Australia Post, leading to significant increases in tracking coverage. Sellers do not have to explicitly provide information, and buyers can track orders with confidence. We will continue to invest in the buyer experience and marketing technology capabilities as we work to foster lifelong trusted relationships with buyers. Finally, an area that I and the team are extremely passionate about is doing good for our communities around the world. We focus initiatives on the sustainability issues material to the long-term strength of our business and where we can be most impactful to our stakeholders. We have measurable and transparent goals to evaluate our progress and to hold ourselves accountable to these important milestones, such as driving more circular commerce, 
getting to 100% renewable energy by 2025, and raising significant amounts for charitable causes. We began eBay for Charity in 2003 to make it easier for customers to support their favorite charities. Since then, we've raised over $1 billion for charities around the world, and we're working hard on our goal of another $600 million raised by 2025. In Q3, eBay for Charity began working alongside international artists through a campaign called Artists Band Together. We're helping to raise funds for organizations that work to increase voter turnout for the upcoming U.S. elections. Additionally, eBay Foundation reached its $1 million Kiva lending goal to support global untapped entrepreneurs through an employee micro-lending initiative. At eBay, everything we do ties back to our purpose of creating economic opportunity for all, and I'm very proud of our team for keeping this at the forefront, especially during these remarkable times. So in summary, we have a clear vision to realize the enormous untapped potential of eBay. While we have made meaningful progress in Q3, we still have a long way to go. We are investing in technology and focused on delivering the best marketplace in the world for buyers and sellers. And I want to thank all of our employees who have been working diligently to support our customers by bringing our tech-led reimagination to life. With that, I'll turn the call over to Andy to provide more details on our financial performance. Andy? Thanks, Jamie, and thank you all for joining today. Before I walk you through the results for the quarter, I'm going to take a few minutes to provide some additional context on the financial reporting impact of moving our classified business to discontinued operations. With that designation, our reported results reflect only the performance of our marketplace business. The Q3 results for classifieds are reflected in GAAP EPS from discontinued operations. You can find a presentation of historical financial statements recast to the current presentation in the Form 8K we published on October 1st. When we last provided guidance in July, Classifieds was included in both our Q3 and full year 2020 guidance assumptions. On slide four, you will see a refreshed look at what our July guidance would have been if we had excluded Classifieds. This will help create an apples-to-apples -apples comparison versus our Q3 results reported today. Let me, quickly walk, let me quickly walk you through the numbers. Adjusting for the classified's impact to our July guidance, the implied Q3 guide for marketplaces was between $2.38 and $2.45 billion of revenue, growing 16 to 19% on an organic FX neutral basis, and non-GAAP EPS between 68 and 74 cents per share, representing 31 to 42% growth. On slide five, we've made a similar adjustment for our full year guide. Adjusting for classifieds, the implied full year 2020 guide for marketplaces revenue was between $9.59 and $9.78 billion, growing 14 to 16% on an organic FX neutral basis. Operating margin in the range of 30 to 31%, non-GAAP EPS between $3 and 4 and $3.16 per share, and GAAP EPS between $2.51 and $2.66 per share. And finally, free cash flow adjusts to the range of $2.2 to $2.35 billion. With that, I will move on to our current quarter results. Turning to our Q3 highlights on slide six, in Q3 we delivered revenue of $2.6 billion, up 26% on an organic FX neutral basis, 
Non-GAAP EPS was $0.85, cents, up 64%. Both were significantly above our expectations. Non-GAAP margin came in strong at 30.7%, inclusive of our ongoing investment in managed payments. We generated $584 million of free cash flow. We executed $700 million of share repurchases and delivered $111 million in cash dividends in the quarter. Our Q3 overperformance was driven by a number of factors, including our migration to managed payments, strong execution in advertising, and and volume growth ahead of our expectations. Based on our Q3 results and an improved top-line outlook for the fourth quarter, we are raising our full-year guidance, which I will cover in more detail in the guidance section. Moving to active buyers on slide seven. We ended the third quarter with 183 million active buyers, representing 5% year-on-year growth, consistent with the second quarter. New and reactivated buyers continue to drive year-on-year growth. We continue to see strength in GMB per active buyer across all cohorts in Q3. While we initially saw stronger activity levels from buyers acquired in Q1 and Q2, those buyers are now trending towards behavior more consistent with historical cohorts. Moving to slide eight, in Q3, we enabled $25 billion of marketplace GMV, up 21% year on year, accelerating eight points versus the prior quarter as global mobility continued to improve, particularly in our international on-platform markets. In the US, we generated $9.8 billion of GMV, up 33% year on year, decelerating two points from the second quarter. Growth was at its peak in July, and then moderated through August and September, driven in part by the wind down of government stimulus payments, even as residential mobility remained relatively constant. International GMV was up 14% year on year, a 12 point deceleration versus the second quarter, driven by moderation in Germany and the UK. We saw strong ongoing correlation between mobility restrictions and GMV growth across our international markets where the most pronounced growth deceleration occurred in markets with the biggest increases in mobility. In our off-platform Korean business, growth was 4%, decelerating one point from the second quarter. Looking closer at volume, we continue to assess the impact of COVID to better understand the overall performance of our business. We have seen modestly improved underlying performance versus our pre-COVID 2020 plans driven by increased velocity in product experience improvements and ongoing tailwind from the recent increases in our active buyer base. In addition, we've seen temporary COVID-related growth acceleration in GMV that we expect will continue to moderate as mobility increases over time. And with this component being the biggest wildcard in terms of magnitude and timing, it remains difficult to predict results beyond the near term. Turning to revenue on slide nine, our net revenue was $2.6 billion, up 26% organically, decelerating two points. We delivered $2.4 billion of transaction revenue, up 28%, down five points from the second quarter, with strength in payments and advertising partially offsetting the deceleration in GMB. Looking closer at managed payments, The increased seller adoption and high customer satisfaction that Jamie mentioned led to five points of incremental revenue growth versus 2019 on a continuing operations basis, 
approximately one point better than anticipated. Transaction take rate was 9.4% for the quarter, accelerating nearly 40 basis points from Q2, primarily from the ramp of managed payments and the continued strength in promoted listings. We expect take rate to continue to increase further as managed payments and promoted listings continue to scale. We delivered $251 million of marketing services and other revenue, down 1%, accelerating 15 points from the second quarter, mostly from a lower headwind from lapping the sale of Brands for Friends in the middle of Q3 2019 and our first party growth in Korea. Turning to slide 10 and major cost drivers as a percentage of revenue. In Q3, we delivered non-GAAP operating margin of 30.7%. This is approximately four points higher year on year, driven by volume leverage, partially offset by continuing investments in managed payments and strategic reinvestments. Cost of revenue is down nearly 20 basis points year on year as volume leverage is partially offset by managed payments and our expanding first-party inventory program in Korea. Sales and marketing expense was down over two points versus the prior year, as volume leverage was partially offset by strategic reinvestments in online marketing, brand, and our vertical strategy. Product development costs were down approximately 10 basis points, driven by volume leverage, partially offset by incremental investments in the product experience, including managed payments. G&A was down nearly 40 basis points, primarily from leverage and cost control. Transaction losses were down one point as bad debt rates have performed better than expected. Turning to EPS on slide 11. In Q3, we delivered 85 cents of non-GAAP EPS, up 64% versus the prior year. Non-GAAP EPS growth was driven primarily by higher revenue growth and our share repurchase program partially offset by our investment in managed payments and FX. Gap EPS for the quarter was 88 cents, up 250% versus last year. The increase in Gap EPS is mostly driven by the change in fair value of the Audion warrant and the same factors as non-Gap performance, in addition to lapping the divestiture of brands for friends. The value of the Audion warrant stands at $777 million at the end of Q3, an increase of $573 million year over year. This is an additional value driver stemming from our payments initiative, incremental to the $2 billion of transaction revenue and $500 million of operating profits as expected in 2022. You can find more information on the Audion warrant in our 10Q, and as always, you can find the detailed reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financial measures in our press release and earnings presentation. Moving to slide 12, we generated $584 million of free cash flow in Q3, down 18% driven by the timing of cash taxes, partially offset by higher earnings. Year-to-date through the third quarter, our free cash flow is $1.9 billion, up nearly 30% year-on-year. Moving to slide 13, we ended the quarter with $4.1 billion in cash and investments and debt of $7.8 billion. In Q3, we paid down over $900 million in debt, bringing our total debt back to the 2019 year-end balance of $7.8 billion. This completes actions taken in 2020 to strengthen our balance sheet 
by leveraging the favorable market conditions to improve rates on our outstanding debt. Additionally, we paid over $700 million in income taxes from the divestiture of StubHub, which has presented an operating cash flow from discontinued operations, leaving approximately $250 million to pay in Q4. We returned $111 million to shareholders and dividends in the quarter. We executed $700 million in share buybacks in Q3, bringing our total share buyback to $4.7 billion so far this year. We entered Q4 with $2.5 billion in share repurchase authorization remaining. Our capital allocation strategy and key tenants and targets have not changed. We remain committed to maintaining our triple B plus credit rating, midterm leverage of approximately one and a half times net debt and gross debt below three times EBITDA, and a target cash balance of approximately three and a half billion dollars. We also remain committed to our dividend. Moving to slide 14, I'd like to provide an update on the pending classifieds transaction. We remain excited about this deal as it allows us to realize near-term value while enabling us to participate in the future upside potential of the world's largest online classifieds company. We are on track to close the deal in Q1 subject to regulatory approvals. When we announced the deal on July 20th, the valuation was $9.2 billion based on a mix of cash and out of vent to shares. The share price has appreciated by over 30%, which increases the value of the classified business to over $11 billion based on recent trading levels. Finally, we expect that the cash portion of the deal will provide approximately $2 billion net of tax, and we currently expect any potential future sale of shares would be, ta- would be a taxable event at the prevailing statutory rate. Turning to slide 15 and guidance, we continue to operate in an environment with low visibility, which proves to be very difficult when trying to provide guidance. Each month, sometimes each week, reveals new external drivers that can have a material impact on consumer behavior. The dynamics we faced in Q3 were different from what we faced in Q2, and it's clear that Q4 will be different than what we experienced in Q3. The shape and speed of pandemic recovery the strength of the holiday season, and the size and timing of potential government stimulus programs are among the many variables that could have a significant impact on our outlook. For Q4, we are projecting revenue between $2.64 and $2.71 billion, growing 19 to 22% on an organic FX neutral basis. This assumes marketplace volume growth at low double-digit rates with gradual moderation through the quarter. We expect managed payments to continue to deliver revenue acceleration, contributing approximately eight points to Q4 revenue at the midpoint of our guide, driven by continued seller migration. We expect non-GAAP EPS of 78 to 84 cents per share, representing 18 to 27% growth. Non-GAAP EPS growth is driven primarily by volume and lower share count, partially offset by continuing investments in technology and marketing. We are expecting GAAP EPS from continuing operations in the range of 58 to 64 cents per share in Q4. After adjusting for classifieds move to discontinued operation, this Q4 guide represents a material improvement on volume, revenue, and non-GAAP EPS versus our expectations back in July. For the full year, our revenue guidance is 
10.04 to $10.11 billion, representing an organic FX neutral growth rate of 19 to 20%, driven by an improved GMV outlook and continued scaling of managed payments and advertising. We expect operating margin to be in the range of 31 to 31.5%, with a non-GAAP effective tax rate of 15 to 16%. With the above dynamics, we expect non-GAAP EPS in the range of $3.34 to $3.40 per share, driven by, three, by Q3 overperformance and an improved top-line outlook for the fourth quarter. We now expect free cash flow of $2.5 to $2.6 billion, CapEx in the range of 4 to 5% of revenue, and we're increasing our outlook on share repurchases to approximately $5 billion for the full year. Finally, we expect GAAP EPS from continuing operations in the range of $3 to $3.06 per share. In closing, we are excited about the progress we've made this quarter. Externally, the macro environment is helping to drive strong business performance. Internally, with the leadership team now solely focused on the marketplace's business, we're making progress with our new strategy. We're pleased by the increase in speed of execution demonstrated by our launching authenticity guarantee across multiple categories, rolling out our certified refurbished program, expanding shipping services and tracking, and helping buyers find items in faster and simpler ways. We're doing all of this while delivering on our revenue growth initiatives of managed payments and advertising, which are both becoming critical material pieces of our financial architecture. Our margin commitments remain in place and we're on track to deliver at least two points of operating margin growth by 2022 as compared with 2019. As we've said in the past, we will continue to balance top-line growth and margin expansion as we find new opportunities. We will capitalize on them to drive growth. We remain focused on improving the underlying health of the marketplace's business. And as we've mentioned, this is going to be a multi-year journey. Although it's early, the results tell us we're on the right track, furthering our conviction to compete and win in the half a trillion dollar total addressable market we're focused on. And now, Jamie and I would be happy to answer your questions. Operator? At this time, if you would like to ask a question over the phone lines, please press star then one on your telephone keypad. We will pause for a moment while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Strat Debit of Stiefel. Your line is open. Hi, and thank you. Um, in Q3, items sold decelerated a bit more than GMV, and I was wondering what caused that. Were there some changes in AST driven by category mix, or was there some other factor at play there? And then secondly, this was partly answered, but um, in 4Q, I think you fully comped the sales tax collection um, implementation. It was a 600 basis point headwind in 4Q19. You did just a 22% in Q3, and I think that also had a, a 3% headwind in it. Uh, it does seem like we're going to have limited mobility again this quarter, certainly in the U.S., and there were some announcements today in, in um, certain countries in Europe. In 4Q, you, you got it to low double-digit GMV growth. I'm just wondering, is there anything that you're seeing in the business that is leading to that, or is that just more, as you discussed a bit on the call, staying consistent with this conservative approach um, of guidance given the uncertain business conditions this seems to have been the case on the you know the 1Q and 2Q guide as well. Thank you. 
Scott. Um, I'll start with uh, uh, the, the question on guide. Um, Scott, to, to your point, there's, there's new information coming out on a daily basis, which um, makes this tough. I think um, the way that we've looked at it, um, you know, clearly there's, a, there's multiple factors moving that can um, influence our volume outlook for the quarter. It's really hard to predict how any of them will play out. Um, and, and certainly to try to itemize which, which pieces we've included for, for which amounts, um, you know, we can't do at this point. What we have tried to do with our guide um, is, is, you know, compile what we've learned through the third quarter and what we've seen, and it, it implies the continued growth moderation in the fourth quarter following what we saw in the third um, and, into, and, and what we're seeing in the beginning of the fourth. Um, you know, with regards to consumer behavior and, and, and mobility. Um, what we provided, I, I wouldn't call it conservative. I think it's our, our best outlook based on a combination of these factors. Um, and, and certainly, um, you know, any one of those could change and could impact, um, impact our results. On the, I think you called it right on the, on the sold items. There's GMV and category mix and, and similar to um, what you see on buyers and what you see on GMV, there's just a magnitude of, of things changing on a quarter-over-quarter basis given the, the breadth of categories that we have and the different um, price tranches. I, I think you called it right. Thank you. Your next question comes from line of Richard Kramer of Orette Research. Your line is open. <coughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Jamie, I've got two questions. The first is, I'd like to get some more detail on your tech-led reimagination, especially given that you've seen declining R&D and relatively low CapEx. So specifically, can you talk a little bit about how eBay might be developing infrastructure for social commerce, be it with more modern messaging, uh, video, or some material revamp of what's been a very consistent user experience and, and look and feel? And then maybe second question, since you mentioned eBay as being a global marketplace, when we last got the geographical detail, you had roughly 80% of your business in four countries and, you know, a very wide range of markets covering the other fifth. So what's your approach going to be to reaching scale in other countries, and how important is that global footprint to you, and what sort of investment requirements do you see in, in 21 and beyond to, to make eBay go beyond 80% uh, coming just from those four markets? Thanks. Yeah, so on the first one, on the tech-led reimagination, uh, it's why you see us making the investments that we're making is that we believe that there's some big horizontal things that really move the business, like payments um, and advertising, where we're obviously putting a lot of technology focus. Um, and then you saw this quarter some specific vertical experiences of focus for us in both watches and sneakers uh, and also in, in certified refurbish. And so, um, you know, we, we actually think this is the start of really leveraging our technology where horizontal plus a vertical focus brings together a, a, just a much different experience on eBay. You think about the level of trust that we just put in place in those three categories, it's really game-changing uh, versus where we were before. You know, you asked specifically about marketing. Uh, there's a lot of things that we're doing specifically in uh, paid social uh, and using new channels that we haven't used before. Uh, that's a key part of it for us. If you think about the sneaker category as an example, we're bringing on a lot of, you know, Gen Z and millennials. So we're going out, reaching them where they are, 
because when we inquire them in the sneaker category, as we said, you know, they end up buying in, in 10 unique categories across the site. Uh, the second thing I'd say on our footprint is, um, look, we've got some very strong growth in some of our uh, smaller markets. Um, there's a lot of advantage to the scale of our cross-border trade business where, you know, we're bringing products from, you know, very different countries to our smaller countries or exporting out of our smaller countries and, and obviously play a role in that. So, you know, we continue to believe that, that those are important, uh, good growth opportunities, not only for the domestic business, but also for the cross-border trade that they bring. Okay. Thanks. Your next question comes from line of Colin Sebastian of Baird. Your line is open. Uh, great, thanks. Good quarter. Um, I guess given some of the concerns around carrier capacity during the holiday period, I'm wondering if, if the long tail of sellers, uh, you know, if they're more impacted by that or are your contracts with the, with the shippers largely protecting them from those bottlenecks? And, and then looking at active buyer growth, what's the potential to accelerate that growth over the near term, um, certainly given the secular shift we're seeing? Or, or are you more focused in terms of the, the uh, marketing efforts on driving engagement with the existing buyers and the, and the uh, recent cohort ads? Thank you. Yeah, so on carrier capacity, um, part of why we did the UPS deal this year was to open up more flexibility and more options for our sellers. So not only are they going to save a bunch on the rate um, that they're going to have on there, but the integration is going to make it really easy for sellers and provide all that tracking for buyers. So now you have multiple options, even as a small consumer seller, between USPS, UPS, and FedEx. Um, one of the things we have worked on is deals that actually protect them from peak shipping charges uh, or surcharges over the holiday. So we think the combination of, of that flexibility of choices plus the uh, negotiating on behalf of our community uh, will work out well for them on the, on the shipping side. You know, on the active buyer growth, uh, as, as we talked about, our real third priority is turning buyers into lifelong enthusiasts. So really focusing on how do we, when we bring in a new buyer, uh, expand them into multiple categories because we know that drives their LTV. So I used the sneakers example earlier, coming in via sneakers and ending up buying in 10 categories. It's also a big reason for our push to consumer selling. Uh, this quarter, our actually C2C GMV growth uh, grew faster than our B2C growth. And that push is really because once we get a, a buyer to sell, they become more than twice as valuable as a buyer. So that's really our focus is on accelerating those things and, and driving that long-term potential of the people that, that we're uh, bringing to the site. Okay. Thanks. Your next question comes from line of Tom Champion of Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Hi. Good afternoon. Um, on... GMV trends, it looks like the growth uh, between the U.S. and international is really starting to, to diverge with international decelerating more. I'm just curious um, what you think might account for that or whether it's all explained by mobility. And then um, on managed pay, it, it sounds like you added about 300,000 sellers into the program um, this quarter and at five percent of revenue that that seems like it's about 130 million in revenue is this approximately the the right magnitude thank you yeah I'll, I'll take the um, on the on the third quarter volume US international um, look there there are differences we see globally um, we indicated on our on the on the call in July that we were seeing continued strength you know through the month of July in the US 
Um, Post-July, we did see some increased moderation in August and September, uh, and we think, you know, at least in part driven by the expiration of the U.S. stimulus. So, so that, in, in part, I think is a little bit of the strength you're seeing in the U.S. In addition to, if you look at um, mobility and, and the, the progress of COVID uh, internationally, we, you know, there was a little more mobility sooner. Um, in, in, in particularly in Germany and the UK than we had in the US. So I don't, I don't think there's a, you know, a drastic business shift between any of those regions other than some of the dynamics associated with um, the reopening. I, I think another important, you know, just generally on volume, um, we, we have, um, there's a few things we do see that Consumer behavior patterns are, you know, are definitely impacted by mobility. Um, that is different depending on location and country, you know, and sometimes state. Um, and I think the other, the other key thing is that the, the customer and consumer behavior patterns aren't the same. So as, as you know, mobility and lockdown happened in April and May, um, with more time and less scarcity, um, you know, some of that behavior is not as drastic um, as, you did, as, as we saw early on in the pandemic. And then on uh, the second part of the question was managed payments. Um, yeah, your logic is, is about right on that. Great. Thanks a lot. Your next question comes from line of Stephen Zhu of Credit Suisse. Your line is open. All right. Thank you. So, uh, Jamie, for some of these categories that you're leaning into, like watches and sneakers, it seems like there's a, a greater requirement to work with external parties to either authenticate or refurbish things. So you know, to some degree, you are putting the eBay brand at risk here with your buyers. So what are you, what incremental things are you doing to vet the seller so that you minimize bad behavior? And second, on the, the C2C activity ramp, um, seems like consumers are not always going to be as savvy as some of the more professional sellers about providing the uh, correct descriptions for what they're selling. Uh, and you're also going to get merchandise in all kinds of different conditions, which seems like a pretty complicated structured data problem for your engineers to solve. So, you know, can you talk about what you're doing to make sure that stuff people are putting up for sale are correctly surfaced in search results? Thanks. Yeah, so on the first one, um, thanks, Dean, for the question. We, um, you know, we work with really industry-leading uh, experts to do the authentication, you know, specific for that category, um, and uh, a very intense multi-point inspection to make sure the product is truly authentic. And so um, it really kind of um, not only you have the trusted kind of seller piece in there, but every single product, every single sneaker over $100 by the start of next year will actually go through a third-party authenticator. And so um, really takes the risk away of, uh, of a potential um, issue by the time it gets to the buyer. Um, even, you know, sometimes there could be a mistake. It was missing a, a piece of documentation. So the beauty is, is we're catching all of those things. Uh, the same thing in the return. So making sure that uh, the seller is getting back the product that they actually ship the buyer because the authentication works uh, in both directions. So look, it's a really high level of trust. When you look at the community feedback that we've gotten, both from sellers and buyers, they're incredibly enthusiastic. They know it will bring a lot of new buyers to the platform. 
uh, and, and for sellers, uh, you know, that's, that's what they want. Um, you know, like we said on the call, the business was growing 50% uh, in sneakers even before we launched this authentication uh, guarantee, so we're excited by it. You know, on the C2C ramp, it's a huge focus for us is using artificial intelligence and technologies to make it easier for the casual lister to come on and list. So a lot of our listers will use things like uh, sell similar, whether sell a similar product or they're sell based off of a, uh, a specific catalog description. And what you'll see from us over the coming quarters is continuing to make that process easier uh, to bring more to C2C sellers on. It's our number one priority is defending the core, and a huge part of that is consumer selling. You know, I, I should say that they also bring a unique inventory to the platform. You know, there's a lot of things that are not being sold by a business seller. Uh, you know, my, uh, uh, one of my friends was looking for a, a guitar uh, Wii Hero, uh, and that's only, you know, no one's selling that B2C anymore. You're only going to get that from a C2C seller. So we like to think about the unique inventory that it brings to the platform is also really important to us. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Yusef Squally of Truist Securities. Your line is open. Great. Thank you very much. A couple questions here. So just on the authenticity guarantee that you've done for sneakers and watches so far, can you maybe just speak to, um, and I think you also canceled some selling fees on sneakers of $100 or more. Can you maybe just speak to, um, and maybe it's too, too early, but just any uplift you've seen in, um, in sales uh, for these two particular areas and whether there are any other big categories which kind of lend themselves to um, to the same thing. And on management payment, how is that? I, I think you, you guys talked about it tracking to your own expectations, but um, just considering the fact that it seems that you guys have a fair amount of control over that, is there a chance of seeing you migrate maybe the majority of all sellers globally earlier than expected? And if not, what are the, 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 the gating factors there? Thank you. Yeah, so the change in, in um, selling fees on sneakers we had done a, a while ago, um, and what I would say is that um, it's very early in that. We just launched that a few weeks ago. Um, but the, the encouraging signs are what, the feedback that we're getting from the community of really leaning in and, and um, uh, being excited by what this can do to unlock the category. Watches has been live a little bit longer, and while early, what we're seeing is an increase in supply on the platform and an increase in, in average selling price. And if you think about it, that's really what we want to see is that higher level of trust uh, is making buyers really more comfortable, uh, which obviously works out for, um, for sellers as well. You know, what I'm really proud of for the team is that when we talk about a tech-led reimagination, while it took us a couple of months to launch that technology for watches, we actually rolled it out a few weeks later for sneakers. And so we're building capabilities that allow us to compete better in specific verticals, but a lot of those capabilities can be leveraged across multiple categories, and, and that, that excites us. You know, on the managed payments migration, um, it's important to know that there's still features uh, that we continue to build out to be able to migrate more of the sellers. So we're right on track, but as an example, if I'm a seller that uh, ships cross-border to a country that we haven't launched managed payments in, we're not going to convert that seller over to the new managed payments platform until we unlock that country because we don't want them split between the old platform and the new platform. So there's still capabilities that we're continuing to build out uh, to ramp, and, and we basically are, are on track for our plan to be complete by the end of 2021. Thanks, Jamie. Your next question comes from line of Edward Urema of KeyBank Capital Markets. Your line is open. 
Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. I guess just to drill down on some of these new categories a little bit more, I know you're using uh, third-party authentication, but can you kind of help us understand the cost profile around that, um, whether they have the ability to scale as the business grows? And then I guess just stepping back, you know, these three big announcements, the refurbished watches and sneakers, I guess what are the three do you think would be most significant or impactful in the medium term? Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, when we look at the, um, you know, the authentication costs, we, we look at it in some ways it's like a marketing cost when we think about how do we bring new buyers into the platform. So if you look at what we would have collected in, in final value fees, for example, on that product versus our cost of acquisition of bringing in a new buyer for, um, you know, who's going to end up buying in, in 10 unique categories across the site, we're balancing that all out, and we think it's, you know, we think it's important. We think there's a lot of potential, and uh, we think it's a, it's a big difference for eBay to have that level of trust um, in the category. Um, you know, we haven't talked much about certified refurbished uh, on the call yet, but I'm really excited by that. I mean, sneakers clearly has a lot of potential, as does watches, but, you know, there's tens of billions of dollars in certified refurbished. It's a real sweet spot for eBay, and, you know, this brings a whole new level of um, – trust of feeling like you're buying a, a like-new product because you have the, um, you know, not only all those guarantees, but you have a two-year warranty, you have a 30-day hassle-free return, along with the eBay money-back guarantee. So we just think it's, a, it's, a, it's an important category. We're also seeing brands lean in, um, like we talked about on the call, and, and you know, big brands, and, and we're just getting started. So we think there's a lot of runway and a, and a huge uh, market opportunity for us to go after that. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Robert Turbel of Guggenheim Securities. Your line is open. Hey, um, uh, good evening. Um, I just got a couple of questions, you know, mainly on, on M&A, you know, in terms of, like, you have some, you know, the cash in the balance sheet, and you talked a little bit about that. But I'm just wondering, as you, as you sort of look at especially the sneaker category, would you, you know, would you consider – you know, acquisitions around that category to really accelerate your positioning and improve it? Maybe if you could just elaborate a little bit on that type of strategy, that would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, we're not going to speculate on kind of specific categories in M&A. What I'd say is we're looking opportunistically at M&A like we always have, at opportunities where we think we could accelerate um, the vision that, that we laid out um, on, uh, on prior earnings calls and, um, you know, always doing things in an asset light way uh, like we tend to do. Uh, here at eBay in a way that, that we think enhances shareholder value. So we're going to continue to be opportunistic about it. Great. And if I could just, you know, follow up on a different topic, but in terms of, you know, the, the ability to sort of grow the buyers and sellers, can you just talk a little more about, like, the, the fourth quarter marketing plans and advertising in terms of the focus on continuing to bring, you know, new buyers and sellers in and, you know, the, you know, the, the level or the rate at which you're thinking about that? Yeah, we're, we're using some, you know, new tools and technology over the uh, holiday, you know, really going after um, some new channels like paid social, like I talked about before, in addition to, you know, the other kind of brand and performance work that, um, that we normally do in the holidays. Um, but really, we're also, you're also going to see more targeted uh, marketing from us, and you're seeing it already, where we're focusing on specific campaigns, like we had a viral campaign on TikTok for sneakers that, that went incredibly viral. Um, and you'll see other specific, really vertical uh, marketing that we're doing to attract the right types of buyers in these um, categories that we're leaning in on. So lots of things that we've experimented with that we're learning from that, that we're rolling out in the quarter. Great. Thank you very much. 
Your next question comes from line of Brian Nowick of Morton Stanley. Your line is open. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. I have two. Just the first one, I think in the, the second quarter you added, a, I think it's about 8 million net buyers sequentially. I, mean, I know a lot of focus is sort of turning them into broader shoppers and, and sellers. Can you talk to us about what you saw in the retention of those buyers that you added in the second quarter? And are you seeing that expansion into new categories out of them already? And then, Jamie, just now that you've had a few more months in the seat, maybe just talk to us about how, how you're categorizing low-hanging low-hanging fruit areas of improvement that could really uh, change the business trajectory in 21 as opposed to sort of your longer-term areas of focus? Sure. So let me let me start with the, the latter, and then uh, we'll come back on the, the buyer one. So, you know, if you look at the types of things that we rolled out this quarter, uh, it's indicative of where our focus areas are. So when you think about Defend the Core, um, it's really around how do we go after the non-new in season and help grow that business we see a big kind of $500 uh, you know, billion dollar TAM there. And like I talked about last quarter, this, these are not, you know, big bang uh, releases. You know, I, I think about our payments business as a, a two-year build for a, for, a, for a release. Here, I think, you know, what we're working on is, you know, a lot of releases throughout the year of different capabilities and, and hopefully continue, like I talked about before, of launching something and then being able to roll it out to other categories, other countries, et cetera, on a pretty frequent basis. And that's how we're thinking about it, is a multi-year journey with a lot of uh, wins along the way. Um, Andy, you want to take the buyer line? Yeah. Um, yeah, Brian, look, we saw in, in the second quarter clearly a, a significant disruption, you know, in, in a lot of areas, and scarcity in certain areas in, in the um, supply chain and distribution. Um, that drove a lot of people shopping online. Uh, and we and we did see some incremental activity from that from that cohort uh, acquired you know at the end of the first and then the beginning of the second. What we've seen in the third is it's 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 reverting to a more normalized buyer acquisition trend and um, more normalized um, uh, repurchase frequency for, for those cohorts. So um, not performing above old cohorts and certainly not performing any worse than than buyers in the past. What we have seen consistent across both quarters is just the volume of GMB and the amount of GMB per buyer, uh, both for you know existing buyers and new buyers at higher levels than we've seen in the past. Got it. Okay. Thank you both. Ladies and gentlemen, there are no there is no more time for questions. This concludes today's conference. Thank you for attending. You may now disconnect.